This morning we will be continuing in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. We talked last week a message that was delivered by Ted that uh, in reference to the crucifixion, and today we're looking at uh, the death of Jesus. We'll be starting in the 45th verse of chapter 27 of Matthew. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakwathani, what is my, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had, been, had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with, the, with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were, so many, there, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to opening your word this morning and sharing from it, we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would guide both the, the, the words from me, but also as to how we each hear them, that they will minister to our needs right where they are, to strengthen our walk with you and our confidence that the God of all creation is our Savior and that you love us so much that you faced the cross so that you could save our souls. Thank you. We come this morning worshiping you and praising you as we open your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. The agony of Christ's death, the agony of the cross. I, I feel like I, I might be preaching a, a, a Good Friday message here or, or something to that effect. It's just as its timing comes here at the end of Matthew. Uh, we're sharing it today and, and we need to understand and it's going to be necessary to look again as, uh, as back at Isaiah chapter 53. Um, which we've already looked at a little bit in this series, especially the last uh, few messages, uh, because it is so critical to understanding what was prophesied about Christ, what he went through on the cross, and, and what Jesus could see ahead. Uh, because you've got to remember, if, if he's, before the, you know, he's before all of these things, this plan was his plan. Before the foundation of the world, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit put this plan together. And so he and all of these scriptures are scriptures that come from him. He is the word, the living word of God. And so he knows these words very well. And so they apply to him. He knows exactly what is ahead. He knows exactly what is coming. And he proceeds on our behalf. In chapter 53 of Isaiah, I'm not going to read all of it, but uh, looking at verses uh, 3 and 4. 
Uh, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In verses 3 and 4 we see all of this suffering that is coming. You know, this, this picture of he's crushed for our iniquities. He is, he is wounded. Literally, uh, the idea also tied to this in some of the versions it actually reads pierced. It's a, it's a, it's a wound that would come from a piercing. For our transgressions. So he's pierced for our transgressions and he is crushed for our iniquities. And this starts to draw us to the, to the reality of, 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 of the cross. And while we have focused somewhat on the physical, we're starting to enter into the, the actual spiritual battle on the cross and what was happening there. Why was he wounded? Why was he pierced for our transgressions? Why was he crushed for our iniquities? And I, I use the word transgressions and iniquities, but we all need to understand that both of them are referring to our sins. Anything that falls short of the glory of God and His plan is sin. And so we all have sin. And so Jesus went to the cross for us and, and, and our transgressions, our iniquities, our sin. Our chastisement was brought was uh, was uh, upon him. Uh, in other words, the stripes, the chastisement that should have been on us. Now, I want you to think about that. What do you recall uh, from a message even last week of, of of Jesus going to the cross and the and and it was Ted did a, a wonderful job of giving a very graphic picture. You you heard the pounding of the nails. You heard those thoughts, and you're thinking these are the things that. Are, are, I guess you could say shadows of, of pain that I should be suffering because I am the sinner, not Christ. But He took them on Himself. Our iniquities, our transgressions, our stripes, our punishment, our chastisement were on Him. And, and why was this necessary? Why was He wounded? Why was He crushed? Well, again, because we have all gone astray. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. So the Lord laid, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Nothing was held back in the reference of judgment for sin. It's again important to grasp this. All of the sin, all of the judgment and punishment that was necessary for sin. Well, we could, we could look at it and say, uh, you know, sin must be paid for. And I was thinking even on the back of our bulletins, we have the, the, uh, Roman road. And, uh, it says, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then verse 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God shows His love for us that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. These pictures of, of Jesus going to the cross, taking care of the penalty. 
What is when he said that, that that we deserve death? The wages of sin is death. We're not talking about just physical death. His physical death on the cross was not sufficient to take care of what was necessary. What is the death that, that is the penalty of sin? Separation from who? The Father. From God. It requires that closing off from God. He's wounded, he's crushed. Because sin must be paid for. And Jesus paid it. Matthew, going back to Matthew now, chapter 27, verse 45 and 46. In the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth, the ninth hour. That would be from noon to around three o'clock. Matthew's careful to record those for us. I'll share why in a little bit. And we have a darkness that transcends things that we normally would attribute. You know, there's all sorts of, of, of attempts to try to figure out how this darkness happened in some kind of natural way with dust storms that were not uncommon in Palestine and all these different things. But this, this darkness was one that was, was again called on in the sense of darkness because that's what sin envelops us in. Darkness. We are cast out into the Outer darkness. The land was covered. It, it says, uh, some scriptures read the earth. We know that it was dark and it was dark again that some, for three hours. Some say an eclipse. There's, we, there's no three-hour eclipses. And Passover happens at the full moon. So there's no eclipse at that point either. So we've got the reality here that this darkness is something supernatural. It has engulfed the cross and what is happening on the cross. About the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon, Eli, Eli, Lama Shabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To better understand this passage of Scripture, we have to understand what Jesus was doing and where He was going with this. It's already been mentioned a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, but again today we need to make mention of it in Psalm 22. Jesus was quoting the first verse. Psalm 22, David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look at the first eight verses of chapter 22 of Psalm. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, by, but, uh, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. In your father, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were rescued. In you they trusted and went, uh, and were not put to shame. So you see a mixture here. He's crying out and yet there's a confidence in the, in the Psalm that God is, is not abandoning him, but he has for a sense 
for a moment, if you will, looked away. And this is how he views himself. And again, you understand, these are Jesus, this is called the Messianic Psalm. These are Jesus' words from the cross. It's Jesus looking down from the cross. Normally we see through the Gospels us looking up at the cross. Jesus looking down. He says, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver him. Let Him rescue him. For He delights in him. Exactly what was going on around the cross, is it not? They were mocking him, saying, "If yeah, if he's the Son of God, have him, yeah, let's let him take himself off the cross. If he's who he says he is." We understand that Jesus is experiencing here on the cross this idea of being forsaken. He knows what it is to be separated from God. For all eternity. Some people will argue with me on that. But that's the penalty of sin. And it says that it's paid in full. Nothing left out. Somebody will say, well, how, how, if, if, if he comes uh, from, the, from the grave three days later, then how is it possible that, that, that he's experienced that death? Because he's eternal. Only an eternal being, only a perfect eternal being could do this on our behalf. Not one of us in this room who believes in Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus Christ is to confess Him with your mouth, believe in your heart that He is the Son of God, the one that God raised from the dead. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will never know the suffering that Jesus is experiencing here. You'll never know it. It's, it's, it's gone. All condemnation. There is no condemnation, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's gone. We'll never know what Christ went through. Talk about blessings that He has bestowed upon us. If, 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 there's so much other, so many other things as we go through Scripture and as we've gone through our lives of those who have walked with Christ for any length of time realize all the things that He does for us and we're, we're blessed continuously as we rest in Him. And then we turn around and we come to these kinds of verses and realize the ultimate blessing is our salvation. And we want to be sure that we do not take our salvation lightly. And it is easy to do. I know. I do it myself. I think of an acquaintance of mine used to go to Mexico uh, with me in, in mission trips. And uh, because we both had breathing problems and, and we both used CPAPs to sleep with, they, they put us in the same home <laughs> and the same room <laughs> together so that we could just you know irritate each other with our CPAPs. Uh, and uh, every morning he woke up, the first, first words out of his mouth were, Thank you, God. I'm yours today. That was his first, right off the bat. The first, well, I can't say right off the bat. The first thing was the, the, the mask came off 
And then he says, you know, I'm yours. I'm ready to serve you today. And I thought, I get to that point most days. But it wasn't always the first thing in my thoughts as I woke up. What an instruction from a brother in Christ. It's such a special thing. What we're looking at is the reality that Jesus paid it all. Every bit. Every single bit. If we were to stop, you know, well, let's, 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 let's go to verse 12. Uh, one more look from the cross here in verse 22, or chapter 22 of Psalm. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. Now, you've got to know something about the bulls of Bashan. They were in the wilderness. They were wild. And if you moved, they moved too, but not away. Now, I don't know much about the land of Palestine. I've never been to Israel but in old Israel, this was the case. I don't know if they're still roaming the wilderness of, 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 in desert areas, but, and they had vicious horns, and they had no, no hesitation in running after you and, and, and going after you and, and gouging you if they could with their horns. And so Jesus is saying he's like in the wilderness, and he's, and he's, he's encompassed uh, by bulls of Bashan surrounding him. They opened wide their mouths at me, which was the, 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 the noise that they would make as they came at you, and, and, and raving and, like a raving and roaring lion. They were snorting and coming after him. This is what he saw around the cross. I'm poured out like water, verse 14, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Teddy, last week, gave a, a clear picture of that, of the reality that the cross would be pulled up and then pushed over into a hole. And the hole was deep enough that the, the cross could stabilize. And so that means that the, the hole, and, and I was told it was around 30 inches deep. I, I don't know. I, I, this is what I learned in school. The cross went and stunk. Can you imagine? He's already on the cross. He's already nailed. And, and now the, the cross... Have you ever just stepped off the curb wrong? You know, I, and, and how it jars your whole body? And you can, you can actually go, you know, be in pain for, for a day because of just stepping wrong. You can imagine what this would cause. This was, by the way, normal for the cross. It wasn't just Jesus. This was the punishment of the cross. It was a despicable, ugly, mean, horrendously just hated form of punishment that, that Rome adopted from one of the people they conquered and, 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 and used it. As, as, as a punishment for non-Romans. A Roman citizen wasn't supposed to be crucified. And so, this was what they, they did. And uh, some uh, describe it as the, the, the cross having to be knocked over into the hole. The same mallet that they used to break the knees with, if necessary, was used to hammer the, 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 the cross over into the hole. So even the jarring might starve before it ever went down into the hole. But as soon as it hit the edge, it just slid, funk, into the hole. And then they went ahead and uh, shimmed it so it was stable. 
This is what Jesus went through on the cross. And so he, he says, the dogs, for dogs encompass me. A company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Again, very graphic picture of exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross. We know this is a messianic psalm and it was prophetic because none of this ever happened to David. I can count all my bones. He could literally look down and see the distension of his, his body. He has ribs as his body shifted. He could, he could see his skeletal frame. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. John 19.24 At the foot of the cross they cast clothings for lots, dice for his, his clothing. Again, how graphic. Now, a lot of times it stops here. A lot of people that read the psalm, they, they say, you know, this is what happened on the cross. This is how Jesus could see it from the cross. We have Jesus' eyes looking at, the, at, at what was going on from the cross. But I, I, wanna, I put here in my notes, Bob, don't stop here. You'll miss the victory. Because starting with the 19th verse, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Again, just kind of tying all the things that he's already said together. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. So when Jesus cried out, God heard Him. He heard the words. I think of two things. One is that Jesus resting in the confidence of this psalm. He's not only calling on it as, as a picture of things, but also as a picture of hope and, and victory that's ahead. And so it's, it's not just the, the ugliness of the cross, but the wonderfulness of knowing what God, God has not abandoned him. He has not forsaken him in the sense that, that we would be forsaken if we were to pay the penalty for our sins. but He knows the fullness of that penalty from the cross and from what happened to Him on the cross in that dark afternoon. Look at verse 30 and 31 of the closing of Psalm 22. It says, Posterity shall serve Him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming, to, to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that He has done it. Sound familiar? It is finished. He has done it. It is finished. He has accomplished what He set out to do. We know from the Gospels Luke, that Jesus was dead on the cross. They were breaking the legs of the two thieves or the criminals on either side of him to expedite 
their death because once their legs were broken, there was no way they could push up off their feet to get a breath and they would suffocate. They looked at Jesus and it was like he was already dead. There was no indication of life. But just to be sure, they did what? Well, they pierced his side. They decided right up into the heart and out came water and blood, which means his heart was no longer pumping. He was dead. What was it that Jesus set out to do? Well, I, I, it made me think of, of a number of things, but uh, verses that we're very familiar with from the Gospel of John, the opening verses of the Gospel of John, just so that we keep it all into, in, in picture, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I had to have that part in there because we have to see that the darkness at the cross did not have its victory. The darkness had not overcome. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And it says then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. What did Jesus come to do? He'd come to make the Father known to us so that we could actually say, well, He could actually say to His disciples, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. And so that He could accomplish the plan that was established before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the plan before the foundation of the world to save mankind. And we get that picture, then we go to John chapter 3.16 and, and realize that this was the plan. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And we see that clearly in the darkness around the cross as they mocked Him, forsook Him. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest the works should be exposed. But, Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen what his works have been carried out in God. And the only way we can come to the light is to come through Christ's work. It's the only access to the throne of God is through Christ's work. The light of the world then covers us. No darkness, no condemnation, no hint of darkness. Only the light of Christ. Even as I fall short in the flesh, even now, because of the blood of Christ, because of His love, His mercy, there is no condemnation on me. If I were to die today, I would be in the presence of the Lord. Because I've come to that understanding that I have sinned. 
I fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of Christ, I have received instead of death that I deserve, I have received the free gift of Christ because I've confessed Him in my heart and with my mouth. He is the Son of God, the one that God raised from the dead. Jesus knew why He was on the cross. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, and, and these are Christ's own words, He says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. And we sang that today as well. The idea of Him being our ransom. Verse 50 of, 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 of Matthew chapter 27 tells us again that He cried out again with a loud voice. And by the way, both of these times He cried out with a loud voice. I, I'm not going to, to example that for you because you would be putting your hands over your ears because my, I could take my mic off, I guess. Uh, but it was, it's, it's like a scream loud. And it wasn't necessarily from the agony and the pain. It was actually showing his commitment and ultimately still the strength that was in him in spite of what was going on. In fact, the fact that he cries out just, just before he dies with this loud voice would imply there's still plenty left. He cried out again with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit from Luke chapter 23. And then finally the words, it is finished, John chapter 19 verse 30. In verse 50 here it says, and he yielded up his spirit. Most amazing thing happens. The darkness that would have been hanging there is now gone. He doesn't say it, but he tells us how long the darkness was there until it is finished, until the words, the ninth hour. The darkness was there for that long period of time. And now it's gone. Just lifted, gone. Timing perfect. Jesus says in, in verse 51, as Jesus cries out and, and the, His last and, and, and yields up His Spirit, the words that is finished, He yields up His Spirit. Verse 51 of chapter 27, Matthew. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were, were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. <laughs> it's a pretty amazing picture. I'm not, it, it, I'm not surprised at the number of... of, of Pastors that just make a few comments on, on and, and commentaries for that matter as well on what happened with these opening tombs because we can't explain it. It's, it's be, we don't get a lot of detail. But I think, I, I think there's, there's enough clue here as to how we should be at least getting a, a picture of it. But first, the picture of the veil being torn in two. If I had the time, I would read from you from uh, Montgomery Boyce, uh, James Boyce's uh, uh, commentary on Matthew. He has a really interesting 
picture of here, but the veil was there between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. where The, minister, the, the Holy Place was where the priests did all of their ministry on a regular basis uh, with the lamp and the oils and, and prayers and stuff. Once a year, the high priest could go around the edge of the curtain into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of the people on the mercy seat that covered the Ark of the Covenant. That was the initial picture. And the Holy of Holies was believed to be because of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And the way it was even designed was that... And, and, and we see it in the Old Testament over and over and over again in what they call the Shekinah glory, the glory of God resting, the glow of God resting there. But, but this was, his, so to speak, His seat. It was called the mercy seat. And so they sprinkled the blood annually there in reference to the sacrifice. And how often did they have to do this? Every single year. Hebrews goes into great detail about how this had to happen over and over and over until the shedding of the blood of Christ. And then once and for all, it has been done. All of this sacrifice for, for millennium going ahead had been done pointing a picture to a one-time sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're told that Jesus is now the veil that we come through Him. Again in Hebrews. What a powerful picture to know that the veil was torn there to symbolize that no longer was that necessary. Going, going there was no longer. And, and by the way, there were, there were priests in the holy place doing service at the time that that happened because that, that was around the clock. Can you imagine what might have been their feelings? I can't. I, 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 nothing tells us about how they reacted or how they responded. I know what I would have done. If I, I mean, if I'm in there serving and, and stuff, and I'm a, a priest in that category, I'm probably one who is not, you know, into Christ. Don't believe, haven't accepted Christ. Don't believe that He's the Messiah, the Son of God. And all of a sudden, the veil's rent in two at the time He's being crucified. I'd be out of the temple. Did it make a noise? I believe it did. You're talking about a curtain that is the, the, the width of a hand. A hand's breadth. Thick. Multiple layers woven and sewn together. Even with embroidery and stuff of cherubim and stuff. It's, it's an amazing picture that you're looking in the old Exodus chapter. I think it's chapter 10. It's an amazing thing. It took multiple people to carry it. It was just huge. And, 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 and every couple of inches up on the top were these huge rings that held it in place. And how was it torn? From top to bottom. I challenge you to try to do that with your, with your, your plastic uh, uh, shower curtain. <laughs> it's not particularly easy, but can you imagine what must have happened as, as it started? Did it just all at once, just in an instant happen? You know, it says from top to bottom, which gives the idea that it went. And what that meant was the Holy of Holies was now open. And Hebrews points that out again. It was open to what? For us to come in. And I want to emphasize this. Every time I get to that point in this uh, kind of talking about the Holy of Holies and us entering in, I want to emphasize Christ did not, I, and it was what was given to me by, by uh, two of my, my 
mentors and teachers in, in Bible college. Uh, Reuben Ratzliff was one, and the other one was George Alder. And, and, and both of them said, Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, and, and sacrificed his life for us to walk by and catch glimpses of the Holy of Holies. We're told we can dwell there in Christ. We're told that we can come there and plead with absolute confidence in the Holy of Holies. With absolute confidence, we can plead for His mercy and grace and receive it. What an amazing thing. We don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to go to a priest. We don't, our confessions are, are, are everything is one on one with Jesus Christ, the mediator, the one who stands before the throne of God on our behalf constantly. Are we not blessed people? There's so much to go on with this that, that you, you, you could keep going on and on. But I think of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? It's gone. There's no victory in death over me. I can, if I die today, I'm alive in Christ. I can't lose. The worst thing that Satan can do to me is to is to, to threaten me with taking my life, and if he were to do so, I win. And he loses. I'm in a win win situation no matter what happens. Because Jesus Christ is my Savior. I've confessed him with my mouth. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. He's the Son of God. Well, an amazing thing happened. And, I, and I'm just going to close with this verse, verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, I've, I don't know how many of you have been to uh, Easter plays and the centurion makes his confession, okay, and there's nobody around him. It's just the centurion. What does it say here? The centurion and those who were with him. That means... The, the Roman soldiers that were with him. The centurion. The centurion is a, is a position of a Roman soldier. And those that were with him. Could there be Jewish guards at, at the... At the, at the, at the I, I guarantee you there were. But there was a centurion there. And those that were with him were probably his men that were there to, to just... A recognition maybe quietly from the back of, of Rome being there so that they would, you know, to keep order. But here's their words. Truly, this was the Son of God. You see that in the movies of, of, of the death of Christ, the passion of Christ, and all these different things. Truly, this is the Son of God. All these people around the cross that had been mocking him, were treating him, they were coming at him like, like mad dogs and bulls of Bashan and all of that picture of the people who should have known. And a Roman centurion standing back says, surely this must be the Son of God. After all he had seen. What had he seen? He'd seen the darkness. He had heard the words of Christ from the cross. And if there are seven sayings of Christ from the cross, we're just dealing with, you know, uh, four, six, and seven, I think it is right here. But, 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 you know, all of the pictures of, 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 that we put together of the gospel, 
All of this that he had seen. And then the shaking of the earth. He didn't know, by the way, about the curtain in the temple. Other than maybe they could hear it clear from there. Who knows? Uh, maybe there was just a clap of thunder that was unique and, and sounded different than anything else they'd ever heard. I don't know. But the bottom line is, is that what they had seen and what else they had seen was the, the earth shake, the tombs break open. Now, the people that came out of the tombs, I'm not going to get into detail about this. It, that did not happen until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Read that carefully. It says, well, and, and why is that necessary? Because Jesus Christ is the first fruits. So don't get that confused. But, but the idea, and, and people have different pictures of that. Were they, were they resurrected as Lazarus was re- resurrected or, or what? It doesn't tell us. But what it was a picture of was the victory over the death of man. The tombs were open. When Jesus returns and comes again for his, it's 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 going to be an amazing picture thing, as as the as the people are drawn into Christ. But it says these tombs were open. These men had seen that. The only words they had was truly, "This must be the Son of God." Jesus' death brought all believers access to God, to His grace, His mercy, to the Holy of Holies. Not to visit, but to be residents. I think of all of that as we look at this and and realize that every time we share communion, this should be in our hearts too. What Christ has done. When we celebrate communion, we're talking about all of this every time. We don't get into it every time, but I would pray that you would think about it every time. Maybe not all of it. Maybe there will be a piece of this. Uh, People say sometimes, uh, I've heard, we don't have time in church to get ready. Well, then get ready before you come. I mean, it's a possibility, right? If there, you know, to dwell on, 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 on the Word of God. You know what, normally you know the next verses that we're going to be talking about because we're preaching expository in order normally. But, but, uh, you know, so you can read ahead. You don't have to, you know, I know people that read after the thing and study the, the chapter through again as we've gone through it. You can also read ahead. But in communion, we come to this point where we realize he poured out his blood. We say his, this is the bread uh, representing his body broken for us. When we say broken, we don't mean broken physically. Why? Well, we know that there was no bones broken physically of Jesus Christ. That was also to fulfill Scriptures. That's why the pierced side rather than the broken knees was to fulfill Scripture. And so we come and we share the bread. His body, He was broken, meaning He came in the flesh. That alone in itself is a brokenness of, of God the Creator coming in the flesh. But the idea of a humbleness too. He humbled Himself even to the point of death. Philippians chapter 2. So I'd ask the ushers to come forward to uh, pass out the communion. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together. And uh, worship team, and uh, just prepare us for, for communion.